Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Horrorversary. If you haven't listened to the show before, what's wrong with you? Well, I, I shouldn't necessarily say that because we were off for a while and we've only had one recent episode. But if you've never listened to the show before, the podcast is explained very, very succinctly and very simply. This is a podcast celebrating horror movies that are celebrating anniversaries. Now, we cut out the whole 5, 15, 25, all that jazz. So while Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the original, is a great film and it's celebrating a wonderful 45th anniversary this year, we will not be covering it here. No, no, no. We're sticking to the big milestones, the 10s, the 20s, the 30s, 40s, 50s, just going back as far as we can. Because when you hit these different little milestones, it's a point that people start kind of in mass going towards these films. And once you hit like 10 to 20 years is really when you're getting that that special place where people are looking back on the film and saying, what did this influence? What did we miss the first time? What is it that we're still enjoying about it today? And that brings us to the episode that we have before you, because the film that we're doing this week is interesting. Now, it might not be as controversial as doing something like Sorority Row a couple weeks ago, but that's largely because of the director that's involved in this film. And of course, we're looking at Survival of the Dead by one George A. Romero. Now, technically, you can easily shake your fist and argue with us, but we're, we're kind of keeping a trend here when it comes to Horrorversary and doing films of Mr. Romero, is that this film originally showed up at TIFF and a couple other film festivals in 2009. It didn't get released in the U.S. until 2010. Now, if you famously listened to the Dawn of the Dead episode that we did last year, we did mention that that film technically got released, you know, at a film festival and in Italy before it or before it came to America. So we thought, you know, we've already done it once. It's George Romero. Why don't we do it again? And of course, the sad thing about this is this is the last of the dead film that we end up getting from George Romero. And when you look at it through a certain prism, it still has some of the hallmarks that comes with a George Romero film. And that's largely because... Okay. I was. It's a George Romero. You get carried away. So you kind of ride that wave. But I'm really excited to have this guest that we have on. Of course, if you've seen the show notes, if you've seen the tweets or whatever, you know the person's name. And hopefully you know this name because of what they're involved with. And that's one of the main co-hosts of the Dead Ringers podcast. Please give a big horrorversary welcome to Nolan McBride. How's it going, Nolan? Hey, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. I, I mean, I've... I've been on your guys' show in the past. We've recorded yeah. other things. It it just made sense to have you on. Yes, agreed. Now, of course, there's a chance that the majority of people who are coming in who aren't normally, you know, horrorversary listeners are people who listen to the Dead Ringers podcast, which you should. It's a great podcast, even when they're recording in cars at film festivals. But <laughs> for the people who, who don't know uh, your show, please let them know what Dead Ringers is all about. Yeah. Uh, so the sort of like main thrust of the show is uh, there are double features that feature uh, horror movies with shared DNA but distinct personalities, which sort of boils down to they usually have a shared number of like structural elements, whether that's like the plot or the like high level concept or maybe it's just like the arc of the main character, um, but then do something either drastically different or I would say maybe different enough. Um, some of these are sort of 
defenses of movies that might be considered rip-offs. Um, so it's it's everywhere in between sort of show, uh, speaking to the idea that uh, you can do a different, you can do an, the same idea in multiple different ways. Um, so just sort of celebrating the way that the horror genre has always expanded outwards because a lot of people make a lot of uh, similar movies. So Yeah, they, I, I don't want to get the first one uh, incorrect, but I think it was Resurrection, is that what you call it? The Resurrected? That that I I did that was the uh, res- yeah I think it was resurrection resurrection which was a Korean or Japanese 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 okay it was a yeah. Japanese horror film but the film that it was paired up with was Dead Again so clearly yes. if you know anything about Dead Again this that the Japanese movie was kind of the same with people with past lives possibly coming back and in, into the present tying all together so it, completely different movies but you can still see lots of similarities so that that's just kind of an example um, for you now also it's it's reincarnation I just realized oh reincarnation bad okay. bad, host. bad host oh no it's okay it's okay that was a while ago so we'll mm-hmm. it's easily forgiven and, and your mind is just you know stewing in nothing but survival of the dead so that's yes that, that's yes. very true. Now, we ask for the people who haven't listened to the show, who you know are coming over from the Dead Ringers, we do something very simple. And that's every single episode has five questions that we ask the guests. We ask the exact same five questions of every guest. And then as we're discussing the films, there might be some deeper questions that come about. So the first question that we always like to start is with, do you remember the first time that you saw Survival of the Dead? Yes. I actually got to see it theatrically because um, I went to, I was in college at the time. Uh, I went to OSU uh, in Ohio. Um, and I had really gotten, like, horror was sort of sprinkled throughout my early life because my brother was a big fan. And so he would, you know, traumatize me with it as a child and then eventually got me to be interested in it. And so, really, I would say, like, my love for it blossomed in, like, high school especially with uh, George Romero and getting into that, his sort of, uh, I guess at the time would have been a trilogy of, of dead movies. Um, so right when this came out, I guess this was my third theatrical Romero movie, but at the same time it was still, I was still very excited for it, um, especially coming on the heels of Diary of the Dead, which is I think also an important part of the context of this movie. Because um, I, I, you know, I, I love all four of the main, I would say, dead movies, you know, Night, Dawn, Day, and Land, uh, I still Quad- consider... Quadrilogy, a, basically. Yeah, yeah. I always consider it a quadrilogy instead of a trilogy. Um, but Diary, I think is... And again, I, I I would consider George Romero my favorite filmmaker in general, mm. but I think Diary of the Dead is, like, kind of hot garbage. Um, so, so you weren't necessarily coming in on a high note when, when you walked in to see this film the first time no i i'm like i think that's plays into a lot of my initial reaction to it was like i thought diary was just i mean i don't think the themes of diary are bad i think they're interesting i just think the the filmmaking and the way it's sort of handled is just super sloppy and kind of a little too on the nose even for something like zombies as allegory um but uh, yeah, so coming into this one, I, I was more hopeful, but yeah, I was definitely um, coming off of, I would say, like a loss from his previous movie. And what was your initial reaction when you saw Survival of the Dead? I liked it a lot. Like I, I 
I would say I probably loved it. I mean, at the time, I think I was really into it. Um, again, I think a lot of it's coming off of Diary of the Dead and and also structurally, that was just a frustrating movie because of the found footage um, angle. It's It's like a victim of the early found footage films where every second they have to remind you that it's a found footage movie and that the camera's there. So there's just a lot of that stuff that's just infuriating to get through. Um, and so like the fact that he just switched back to a straightforward narrative zombie movie, I think honestly, like that was almost probably enough at the time for me, just like, Oh, he's making one like he used to. Um, but it's definitely not as rich of any of as rich as any of the other uh, dead movies, even land, which a lot of people aren't a huge fan of. Um, this is more just like a story set in his sort of zombie verse. It feels like more than like uh, even one of his, like a, a major zombie narrative. Cause like the zombies are, I mean, they're always background, but they feel especially background to like the main uh, sort of thrust of this one. So yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll jump into that for, in a second. Now, before we get to the next question, I will, remind everyone that this is a spoiler filled podcast these movies have been out for at least 10 years and the best way to do a deep dive into them is to discuss everything that's in the film which of course naturally leads to spoiling them so we're going to have nolan ask answer this next question and once he does we are going to give you a moment to pause the podcast if you have not seen the film so that you can go watch it and then come back but if you decide that you just want to listen to our conversation that's absolutely totally fine too now, Nolan, for the uninitiated, in as few words as possible, please describe Survival of the Dead. Okay, so group of National Guard uh, soldiers uh, make their way to an island, or well, they're sort of drawn to an island uh, out off of the coast of Delaware by one Irishman named Patrick O'Flynn. And he is drawing them into a long-standing conflict between his family and the Muldoons, which is another Irish family. It's sort of like a classic uh, rival feuding family situation. Um, and basically, there's a there's a ideological debate at the center of it, and it's whether or not they should kill zombies or keep them around. Patrick O'Flynn thinks that they should kill the zombies so that they, you know, don't kill more people. And Muldoon wants to keep them around in case there's possibly a cure or because he just can't let go of them. Um, and so they're brought onto the island and pretty quickly some of the National Guardsmen start getting picked off. They, he, uh, The main character, which is, uh, what's his name? Uh, Crockett? Sarge? Sarge? Yeah, I guess he's just like, I was like, I looked at his name, I was like, oh, he's just referred to as Sarge, but yeah, yeah. Crockett, yeah. I guess. But. A, a large majority of the people's names aren't set into like the final 20 minutes of the film, unless yes. they're, unless they're Muldoon or O'Flynn. Yes. Uh, or, or if they have a catchy, hey, I'm in uh, some type of uh, military outfit, so I have a nickname. Yes, totally. Everybody is very much like a archetype. Um and so, so they, yeah, they get there. Uh, let's see. Sarge loses his best friend who gets shot pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, and then they're, on, I mean, we're, we're getting pretty much into it. I mean, you're, you're really yeah. describing, man. We gotta, we gotta cut back for a little bit. We, we were saying that. We'll okay. Okay. Just in a second. So, okay. Um, so I guess at that, I don't know what we can get into 
that's not super spoiler at that point. Basically, I mean, I mean that's that's the, that's basically the main gist of it. So yeah, yeah, they're they're drawn to the island, and then you know a conflict ensues, and uh, the soldiers are wrapped up in it. Exactly. Now, again, we're going to give you a slight little pause here so that you can pause the show yourself before we jump into the spoiler discussion. So. I think that's enough time right there. That that yeah. short little pause. It, it, you just hit the button, your your space bar, your your watch, your phone, whatever you happen to be listening to this on. It doesn't take very long. So now we're gonna get into the meat and potatoes of this film, spoiling the shit out of it, because that's what you do <laughs> when a film's been out this long. And yes. you know we gave you a chance. That's all I'm gonna say. That's all yeah. I'm going to say. Um now See, the weird thing about talking about this film with some of the questions we have is it's going to seem kind of self-explanatory. You'll see what I mean as we go along, but but we're going to try to dig a little bit deeper underneath the surface, if that's possible. So I think you're going to have more heavy lifting to do, and I apologize that it's Survival of the Dead that you have to do all the heavy lifting for, but uh, compared to most guests, I think there's going to have to be a, a little bit... Uh, more underneath the surface that we'd have to get for some of these questions. Here's the weird one that we always have for, for the third, which will bring up lots of interesting, like deeper questions, I think with this film. And that's to you. What is it about this movie that has helped it stay relevant for the past decade? Well, oddly enough, and that one's a little bit tricky. So I think we should reveal off the top, top of the head, how many times have you seen this film, first of all? Um, probably four, well, probably five or six times. Okay. Because, uh, you know, if I if I rewatch, I tend to be like a series rewatcher. So if I rewatch, you know, the, the dead movies, I watch all of them typically. Yeah. Although, yeah, I've gotten to the point where I just skip Diary. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, that I mean, that's understandable. You don't skip this one, at least. So that's... Uh, no. That's got... But for the majority of people who may not have looked up the stats online, this is usually neck and neck with Diary or just below Diary when it comes to critical reception. So for the layman, if you ask them what's helped it keep relevant for the past decade, it's usually the fact that it's the one that people like the least. But you you said you've watched it several times in there. Is there anything that, like, do you ever worry when you come back to this one? Or are you okay once you've watched the other four? What do you mean, do I worry about this one? Well, like, there's a point when you start to get into later of the series. I think one of the best ones oh, that yeah. you can say, think of something like Nightmare on Elm Street, when you've watched the majority of them and you know that right around the corner, Freddy's Dead's going to be there. And that's the point that, like, everybody starts to go, oh, oh no. Once you get to, like, number five in Hellraiser, people are like, oh, oh no. I, I got to get through it because, you know, I'm going to do it. it you skip Diary. So this means that you like this one more than it, but... The more that you watch it, does it grow on you, or or do you are are you not as excited to get to it? I kind of I feel like I flip flop a little bit because I, I I watched it or rewatched it twice, and the first time I was like, oh man, maybe this was a bad choice for a horrorversity episode. But um, I think you know, and rewatching some of the behind the scenes stuff, there's a whole making of documentary that is sort of 
infuriating because the, the the makers insert themselves a little too much um, and are a little too fawning over George. Um, but I don't know. I, like re- looking at hearing that stuff, Romero talked a lot about this movie about being a movie of compromise. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think the main reason why it's probably will always be a little bit relevant to me is because it's his last movie. Like, yeah, the, sort of, you know, it's just always going to be something I would want to return to. And as far as that goes, when it comes to masters of horror, there are a lot that end on bad notes. <laughs> um, and so I wouldn't say this is necessarily the best note to end on, but again, coming off of diary, this felt like, Hey, if he's going to go out, at least he went out on a, I guess it's for me, it's about a fun note because okay. the, the main thing for me with this movie is it feels like George is having fun again. Um, diary, whether you think the themes are impactful or, or whatnot, like the movie is just so self serious. It's there's no fun to be had in it. Uh, and so this at least I feel like returns to a George that's willing to throw in a lot more gags. Um, maybe too many. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, one, one of the notes that I, that I have is that um, the, the blowing up of the, the fish hut is, is like yeah. straight up Looney Tunes. Yeah. I mean, the whole movie is very cartoon and, and again, like seeing behind the scenes stuff where like he's talking about what he wanted from it. He wanted it to be arch. He wanted it to be like larger than life. So it's like, it's not a, I don't think it's a problem necessarily of the movie not living up to what it wanted to be. Um, well, a hundred percent of the time, but, <laughs> uh, like he talked about there just being a lot of issues in production as far as like weather and stuff, not, not cooperating or, you know, it just seemed like it was a rough time, but I don't know. I hate to be, I hate it for it to be one of those, like, well, he did his best and it's pretty okay. But, um, so, so you'd almost say that the, the lasting legacy that it's kind of grown over the last decade is that it, it feels more emblematic of his work as opposed to something where, where lots of directors, when they're getting later and they're making a film just kind of to make a film, it doesn't necessarily feel like them, but this actually felt like Romero, you'd say? Yeah, I think so. Like that, I think that's the other thing is like, even in the spots where it's weak, it doesn't feel like anybody else's zombie movie. Um, I don't think anything else does generally. And it's interesting noting that this comes out, uh, even with its like delayed release, you know, coming out in 2010, it comes out the same year that the walking dead starts. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am sort of maybe a noted, well, I'm not noted cause I try not to talk about it, but I am a, not a fan of the walking dead at all. Um, I see that's that, that's always been interesting to me because I remember when the show first started and how kind of fervent uh, the the emerging fan base was that it was a Game of Thrones type thing that it just took over everywhere. It wasn't just people who were into horror. Um, it, it had, you know, just mass appeal just all across the place. And I didn't watch it when it first came out and I caught it when it came out on DVD. I think I made it through the first like four or five episodes and just kind of left after that and (laughs) just never came back to it. And I felt like I was really in the minority and I was always really worried about telling people that uh, just because of how popular it was and how big. And occasionally when I do it, people are like, you don't watch the walking dead. And I'm like, well, no, I also watch a couple hundred new movies every year. So yeah, yeah. if I've got to give up something, it's something that I wasn't totally into, but I've noticed over the last couple years that 
that's become more of a prevailing thing that more people have either a admitted that they cut out really early or people who have been watching the show have been watching it because they started watch parties and it became a weekly thing and they kind of tuned out, you know, several years ago, but have just yeah. kind of stuck with it. So it's a, don't, don't feel bad for saying that because I, I've noticed that there's been a large amount of people who are like, yeah, I, I don't think I was entirely honest, which uh, there's nothing wrong if you like The Walking Dead. I'm always a proponent of you like what you like. Just don't be an asshole about it. So yeah. I'll, I'll never say anything bad because somebody likes a certain show or doesn't like another show. If you like The Walking Dead, that's totally fine. I mean, k and is involved in it. You know, I'm not going to be mad when, you know, Nicotera is getting to do uh zombie effects for something so exactly or getting direct so like exactly so i'm not i'm not going to to completely shit on it but but i want you to don't i i think we're at the point that people don't need to feel bad because they didn't watch or like the walking dead yeah and i mean i i read um a chunk of the comics and then got fed up with that and then the show didn't really do anything to like fix the problems i had with the comics so um the reason the main reason i bring that up is because the thing that to me, you know, everyone talks about, obviously the walking dead is like totally just the product of the influence of George Romero. Um, like, you know, Robert Kirkman said as much, he just wanted to make a Romero movie that never ended. Um, but the, the that show like sort of, I was talking about Diary of the dead is just so humorless. It's so self-serious. Mm-hmm. It's just the grimmest depiction of, of this idea ever. And I don't think that, at all feels like what George has ever done in any of his movies. Um, even when they're at their grimace, there's still like lighter moments or, you know, something to sort of contrast it, some sort of personality and the walking dead just feels so grim that it, it turns me off. Um, so what I would say again is like, as far as an alternative survival of the dead is maybe a little too far in the other direction, as far as being a little too light and goofy mm-hmm. Um, especially if it's trying to sell this like deeper theme about like war, um, and like never ending conflict and tribalism, like it's not quite serious enough to really take on the weight of those, but I do, I don't know, I guess I'd I'd rather it have a little more fun with itself than be something like the walking dead. And, and I get the impression that George was having fun making the movie, um, and just having fun, you know, getting to have control of the experience and, you know, do it the way he wants to do it. So I don't know. It's one of those things where it's like that bleeds through and affects the way I see the movie. Yeah. Um, so that may not hold up for everybody else. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I'm asking you, so that that's what, yeah. That's yeah. And, and also, uh, to your point of, of mentioning, uh, you know, George having fun involved with it. I think if you're a horror fan and you, you know, anything that creates one of the best images that you could possibly have, is of a a smiling and chuckling George Romero because he had like the greatest grandpa face of all time, and so you yes. you, you picture that with his Coke bottle glasses just smiling, you know it's 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 an indelible image. It's something that you could easily see in like most interviews and stuff. So it's it's just a great kind of lasting image as you know a happy George Romero. I don't think anybody will argue with that. But lighting yeah. things up, the next question is. Is there a signature uh, scene or moment that stays with you in this film? I mean, I think the sort of final showdown is 
I mean, it's a little bit broader, I would, but I would say that like the last probably 15 minutes is sort of the reason to watch the movie. The range it, climax. Yeah, it feels like that's also the thing that it's cutting its budget elsewhere for. Because um, that's one thing that is unfortunately frustrating on the movies. There's a lot of spots where you can tell they they sort of cut corners with practical effects and then substituted in some digital stuff that did not what? look great. What? Uh, you mean there's CGI work in this movie? <laughs> and they, I, uh, they, I, they do I they ruin some of the best gags which is really unfortunate because <laughs> you know I, I would say like oh the fire extinguisher is a really cool kill but then like the cgi eyes popping out of its head totally just yeah sort of deflate that scene so it's i, I would say yeah like that last the the final showdown because that's really what it's all leading to and, and one thing mm-hmm. we didn't mention prior to this is that this is george romero making a western yes um like you know there's influences or bits of that in some of his other movies you know the 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 main guys from dawn of the dead definitely have like gunslinger vibes but this is like you know the the main character group is basically a group of outlaws that are drawn into what would be you know some small town on the western fronts uh sort of like never-ending conflict well, yeah um, i mean it's it's very much hatfields and mccoys yes yes yeah like someone described it as like hatfields and mccoys and zombies basically yeah. Um, and yeah, uh, Romero also cited a movie called the, uh, big country, big country. Uh, yeah, yeah. 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 The William Wyler movie. Yes. Um, which, uh, which, I'm, I'm glad that, that Romero didn't necessarily go that route because that movie's like two and a half hours, I believe. <laughs> I mean, on one hand, this almost feels like it should have been more of an epic because it does. That's maybe one of the other problems with the movies. It feels so slight because, you have these other characters you spend like 30 minutes with mm-hmm. and they're not really the, like the meat of the story. They're just sort of like the audience, like Trojan horse into the story. Um, Which is an odd decision because it, it's I literally about the four minute mark when it jumps uh, to Plum Island to, to show us, you know, uh, O'Flynn and yeah. Muldoon and their whole thing. And then it cuts back and it kind of jumps back and forth. And so there's little pieces of story that that you lose between the characters when you're trying to set up the other stories in the film. So I, yeah. I can definitely I I think there's an argument to be made that if you shave off maybe like seven to nine minutes of the movie uh, to tighten it up a little bit more, you don't have uh, that problem. But if you add in like maybe another fifteen to twenty minutes, so you can really you know kind of dive into it. I, th- that's one of the big arguments that you see when it comes to the world of Romero's dead films is always around Dawn of the Dead. And who prefers what cut, you know, do, do you prefer Romero's original cuts? Do you prefer um, Argento's cut? Do you prefer the giant kind of unwieldy director's cut? Because they all have their own merits. And the longer that you get, you really get a sense of this world. And, And I feel like some of the world building is a little bit out out there especially once you get to the island of plum because you have yeah. constant references about uh which i wanted a little bit more of because i'm i'm still slightly confused that there's lots of talk about the internet and people <laughs> who are watching on the internet and people watching everything and so there's you know slight social commentary about people being you know zombies but if you're in this post-apocalyptic world how, how are these people you know kind of sectioning off and and doing that yeah i didn't understand how the internet was working 
in this world, like how he's how he's shooting these little fake ads and luring people to his dock with that was a little suspect. Hey, I mean, um, I mean, we uh, we basically got the answer in uh, Zombieland Double Tap, where they have the throwaway where Jesse Eisenberg goes, "Isn't it crazy that uh, as long as it keeps on raining and filling the dams, that we keep on having electricity?" <laughs> so may- maybe that's what it is too. Is that there's just something that's like, yeah, you know, we're we're totally fine. Don't worry about the internet. It's it's on its own. No one no one turned the off switch, so everyone's got internet. Yes. Yes. Yeah. There's a lot of little things like that. But again, like the movie is like, I think you can get pretty quickly that the movie is not interested in like those sort of details, like just how, when you look at how broad these sort of like military characters are, like we talked about, uh, they all just have ridiculous, like, I can't even think of what, what is it? The guy, Francisco, Tomboy Mm -hmm. and Kenny are the other squad mates it's called like two to three different other names i thought maybe it's called two yeah but like they're just they all just have like a a, such a huge personality it feels like well one Uh, of them doesn't even have a name because he's just listed as boy in the credits was a a oh yeah devin bostic he never gets a name and no. he's he's one of the main side characters who's with them for three quarters of the movie. Yeah. I just wanted to call him Roderick, and we can call him Roderick since he's for for those people who unfortunately know of the Diary of the Wimpy Kid series. That's that that's how most people would know oh. him is uh, as the older older brother on the show. So so we can even call call him Roderick because it works. <laughs> but he, I mean, he doesn't have a name. Nope. Uh, the majority of the people on the island who aren't an O'Flynn or a Muldoon. Uh, and even the majority of the Muldoons don't have names. No. Nope. So, I mean, it, it, it works out because, I mean, he's... What I always like about Romero is that he's trying to do something in his movies and that even if you think the film is a failure either by conventional standards or by metrics of comparing it to other work that he's done in the past... Uh, that he's always trying to work for something. So even if you say that survival of the dead, you know, is kind of a wash and maybe you give it like a, a C minus or a D because it's not terrible. Cause there's something that he's always trying and he's yeah. trying to inject that little bit extra. Even if there's an actor who unfortunately has a completely terrible accent, who's trying to butcher that scene. Cause I mean, er- early on you have, you have just a couple quotes, and I want to see what you think about these quotes uh, when it comes to the larger uh, Romero dead series. Of mm-hmm. course, uh, you have O'Flynn says really early in the moving, dying doesn't change a person's views. All a dead man can do is remember what he used to be and keep on trying to do the same. So there's one, of course. Uh, yeah. Another one that you have, um, I think it's Francisco say, or maybe it's Sarge, which it's funny because it ties into another film, is money is always money. Uh, you have enough of it at the end of the world, maybe you can buy a condominium in heaven. <laughs> which, of course, is is basically Land of the Dead. So Yeah, yeah. Kind, I wasn't kind, even thinking about that when we watched it, but as soon as you said that, that made sense. It's, it's, it's very nice. And then, um, where is it? Oh, I just had the quotes. Oh, um... <laughs> can't find the last quote but i mean there's 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 lines like that that he has that are tying into kind of his overall um view of everything and, and yeah you, you have the whole little speech that um oh god uh, that muldoon has when he's in the in the dining room 
mm. with with tall with tomboy and how he's making the comment that you know he spent his entire life following uh, the lord's work and that yeah. all, all he wants to do is keep his his family close and so while people could easily see that as him being a monster with it all the guy wants to do is he doesn't want to let not, not, I mean, in a lesser sense, yes, let the dead die. But it's he doesn't want to give way to you know the the world that he had, the world that he understood. He wants there to be a chance that the things that made life enjoyable can be captured again. Yeah, or and kept around forever, basically. Exactly, but I mean, it's still that that whole the the world's changing, and th- there's the fear that the new world is going to be uh, less than or worse because it doesn't hold true to the way that things were before, whether they were good or bad. Yeah. And I mean, you, you bring up these points. I feel like another thing about this movie is I, it's sort of a little bit of a greatest hits of his, of the dead series, as far as mm-hmm. the like beats go. Um, again, greatest hits is maybe a misnomer cause they're better in all of the other movies, but um, I do think Muldoon sort of works the same as the um, the scientist, Doctor, you know, Doctor Frankenstein from uh, Day of the Dead, um, in that like he's trying to find a different way to live, and he sort of refuses to give up, um, like a foolish quest to you know basically teach zombies to eat something else. Which is crazy that this guy who's living on an island, an island that somehow still has some idea of, uh, of commerce because uh-huh. of Chuck's mentioning of, you know, well, I don't see anybody else hiring, which makes it seem like Muldoon, like either gave him a contract or is like, I'm hiring you to do this job and is paying him some type of wage. Yeah. And it's like, maybe this island has it, but still this guy out in the middle of nowhere who is, kind of on the verge of being a religious zealot i mean he's not necessarily killing (laughs) anybody in the name of god and saying that god told him to kill people but but he is kind of keeping zombies as slaves because that but he's the one who has the idea that hey maybe if we get them to eat something else they'll stop eating us which i mean it's that'll just cause you know plenty of other problems but but no one else you don't see anyone else in any of the other movies tackling that yeah yeah, so he's he, he's sort of a reheated version of that. Yeah. And and um your point about the the quote from O'Flynn about um you know what a, a dead man is, uh what was the line again? Uh, all he can uh, do is just do the same thing he did over and over again. Yeah, yeah, is that uh, 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 uh dying doesn't change a person's views. All a dead man can do is remember what he used to be and keep on trying to do the same. What's weird about that is like he I feel like that's a contradiction of land of the dead, which is all about zombies learning to do something new. <laughs> yeah. But, but I mean, it ties into dawn of the dead and the whole idea of people going about the thing, uh, yes. a semblance, not fully understanding, but having a, a vague idea of the way life used to be. And whatever that one thing is that may have defined them is, is what their, their mind is attached to. Yeah. Though I think that brings up maybe what one of the weaknesses of the movie is, is that, Part of what works so well about that original quadrilogy is that throughout those movies, the zombies are basically getting more and more smart mm-hmm. um, or like there's there's sort of an arc going on with them. Whereas this sort of like pulls what feels like from different eras of zombies and then puts it all in the same movie where it's happening at this. I don't know. This is, I guess, like a month after the infection, because I think their initial thing was like six days after and then they did a three weeks later. 
So this is yeah. like probably within a month. Um, which, which I mean, so Dawn is around the same time. Yeah. Of when, when the mass outbreak is happening. Uh, day is further on. Okay. So we'll say years on. I don't remember if it's years or months, but okay. it's been a while. And then, and then land, land is like that. De- land is definitely years. Yeah, land is definitely years. So this is probably a little bit after dawn, but before day. Yeah, before day, I, we'd say. Yeah, I would agree. Okay. And I do. Th- yeah, again, I feel like most of the beats it pulls from are dawn and day, because like the beginning of the movie is very much dawn of the dead. At least as far yeah. as the the soldiers are going, you know, they're abandoning their post and then going to, you know. The difference being, instead of getting to a mall, they arrive at a island that's got its own conflict <laughs> going on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean the 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 themes are a little more muddled, but I do think there's still some of like the trademark Romero sort of insights. It just it's not as cohesive, so I think it maybe hurts some of it. Because um, I do think he's you know he's tapping into like you said like this he he specifically said he wanted to make a war movie, but it, it seems all about like tribalism and like fighting over things to the like never ending conflict to the point of we don't even know what we're fighting for anymore. We're just going to keep fighting because that's all we can do. I mean that's um, literally his last image of the movie. Yeah, Which, and of course you know for, for those who decided to listen and didn't um, haven't seen the movie is that you have. Uh, O'Flynn and Muldoon as zombies who were, you know, on on this crescent ridge, basically in the light of the moon, um, just engaged in a, a duel with empty guns, forever trying to kill each other. Which you know, it, it definitely hits that point home, you know, for you know feuds being both never ending and utterly pointless. But at the same time, there has to be a comment made about these two men who want nothing but to completely kill each other, never aim for the other's head. Yeah. <laughs> you're killing all these people, all these zombies and everything, and the one thing you're not focusing on is, hey, I killed this guy. Ooh, that's right. I should probably still shoot him in the head because the last thing I want is this asshole coming back and trying to kill me. Yeah. There's there's a lot of stuff like that where it's like they don't... He doesn't necessarily examine like the repercussions of certain choices so much as just put a bunch of things in there. Yeah. Because like, you know, O'Flynn is ostensibly the the character that we side with more, potentially just because that's who we're brought in with. Um but like at the end of the movie, he shoots his daughter in a way that it's like calling back to Night of the Living Dead because she was gonna let them know that uh turns out the zombies will eat something more than horses, but she gets shot instead. Yep. And, and even so then, though, even though he's in ear earshot to be able to hear her say, "Oh yeah. my God, she's doing it," and look over and say, "Oh shit, that's right, my zombie twin daughter." Yes, that's right. Yeah, zombie twin daughter um, is eating that horse over there, which it's it's really loud. I don't, I don't know logistics. I've never been one to actually, you know, tear flesh from a living thing, but I'm pretty sure you can hear it within like several feet. Yeah, I would think so. But yeah, yeah. No, I, I, can, I can definitely say that it's strewn with ideas, you know, that, that stem underneath everything. Um, it just feels like some of the, the execution and vision gets 
uh, muddled either because of the production budget that he was given um, the the amount of time to make the film is that there there feels like there's a rush and so that yeah. when you do have certain ideas be brought up it's like oh we need to have this thing now to to keep it moving along this film's already an hour and a half we need to kind of rush through uh, certain things even though we're going to spend like four minutes in the stables just watching zombies for a minute yeah and and part of it is too like again this came up in the uh, behind the scenes features is that like even though diary of the dead is not critically uh doesn't have a great sort of uh, overall opinion it's it did make enough money or it did yeah. make a good amount of money just because the other one was so cheap and so he did say like he sort of turned this around pretty quickly like he had to sort of pivot to make use of that uh, yeah. sort of momentum and so i do wonder if it was just sort of yeah it, it feels a little more half-baked because it is probably a little more half-baked like he he talked about previous movies always sort of reflecting the current regime or, you know, administration. And, and this is not really trying to do that. This is just sort of a little bit of everything, um, which, again, wouldn't be people wouldn't hold against him if he hadn't made those other movies that are so potent. So like or or, it, or had this not been necessarily the last movie, because, of course, yeah, there, there were two more that he wanted to make. We don't know how those would have turned out, but we'll never really get to see it. So I think there's, there's a slight bit of um, unjust weight that gets put on its shoulder. I mean, it, it doesn't matter if you think it's the greatest film or not, but, but it does have that added lineage of this is the last film that he made. So there is a bit more weight on it. And he also didn't have, I, I guess we can call it the benefit of making a movie in between these. And yeah. Because at other points in his career, there's been something that had been around or in between um, some of these films that he was working on. So he was able to flex other muscles and he was able to to work and, and try different, you know, camera techniques and storytelling beats that could help inform how he would want to do things in the future. So, I mean, he even had um, Bruiser, which it feels like. Still and haven't I, seen that one because <laughs> it's, it's basically the one that no one talks about. I mean, it's not that great. It's got some really cool visuals and some some nice moments in it. But he was able to make that and then go do land. So he he had another movie, you know, in his system, you know, when he was doing that. Whereas you, you get diary straight onto this so that there might have been slight fatigue, especially when you're going into around 2010 You've got several years after you have that boom uh, when Shaun of the Dead comes out. And even though it's not zombies, but it still has, you know, that that kind of worldview with 28 days later. And then, of course, yeah. the remake of of Dawn of the Dead that that kind of churns up. And so Land of the Dead has the benefit of coming out at a time when it's at the start of the wave of all these zombie films coming out, whereas both the diary and survival are on that that further end and it feels like maybe they're hampered a little bit more because of the fatigue that's setting in yeah yeah i definitely think so and also you know romero's notorious like he didn't always he didn't just want to make zombie films he no, wanted no, no. to do other things and so like a lot of these were just like well he wanted to keep making movies and this is the only thing he could get made so he he did what he could which is unfortunate because you look at how varied and wild, you know, um, 
some of the movies that that he did is whether it be in the early days with things like Martin or even when he's doing uh, Monkey Shines or yeah. Dark um, Half or yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Dark Half or or of course you know Creep Show. He he's getting to work in all these different avenues, so he's getting to to flex different muscles, and it kind of feels like for lots of horror masters who once they reach a certain age everybody kind of wants a film like survival of the dead even if they're not really big fans of it when they come out it's kind of that thing that they're clamoring they're like oh we want you to do another one of these hey Wes craven we want you to do you know another scream yeah yeah and you kind of have these directors who are pigeonholed because they want to try to do everything's but when you get into the middle and then late aughts um of the century, it becomes a big financial number. And even if they've had these long and storied careers that people would come out to see a movie because it's George Romero's whatever, you know, yeah, uh, that, that they're pigeonholed into saying, well, but this is what we can finance. We know we can, we can get you the production money for doing another zombie film. Yeah, they, he basically saw it like as his his shortcut to being able to keep doing work, um, which uh, which makes it a a, a shame. I, I I personally, people can feel otherwise, but I feel like that's kind of the. I mean, th- there's plenty of different ways that once actors, actresses, writers, you know, directors hurt in a certain age that they're kind of put in this little box. Yeah, and I I think that's one one thing, as a filmmaking community, that we need to try to do better as you know to 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 make it known that we will support artists who made things that we like regardless of of what type of film and that they shouldn't have to be pigeonholed into a certain thing and i think yeah that had george been alive for a couple more years then then he might have somebody might have come to him and you know convinced him to do like you know a kickstarter rap for a film that he was really interested in because i mean you look at something like MST3K and what they were able to do just by having the name of that. And imagine if, if George Romero was like, Hey, listen, I want to get back to my filmmaking roots. You know, I've got this movie in me that I've really want, but I know the studio won't really do it. Let's get this done. I think with the horror community that's out there in the world would be like, George Romero wants to make another fucking movie. Yes. Yes. What do yeah. you want me to give? Um, but they, I, I don't know if it's because people don't mention that avenue, if there's a fear behind not getting it done. And so I, I, I personally, you know, won't say this is my first time watching Survival of the Dead. And I wouldn't be like, oh, my God, this is the greatest movie ever made. But you can still see that he's trying to work on some things. And it's almost unfortunate that we didn't get something else. Yeah. And again, like when you, when you, like we talked about with like other masters of horror, at least like this one for me is, is enjoyable. Like the ward from Carpenter, who I also love, like it <laughs> is why, not, why it I is didn't a, mention it. That's why I didn't it bring is, it up. It is a bad movie. Um, and so like, you know, how many of those guys get to go out on like, what, I forget what is Hooper's last movie. It was something he was making. It's like TV movies. Cause that's what the, like a majority of them get stuck in this place where it's either you have to do a, a like a little quick VOD film or you end up doing some type of like made for TV um, movie. Yeah. Oh, Toby Hooper did one called Jen. I remember, which was like a oh, an no. Indian, Indian oh, horror no. film, something like that, which again, haven't heard great things about it. Um, it's just, yeah, for, 
and and I think the other thing about all of those last films is that none of those feel like the films from the director. At the end of the day, as much as there's a lot of compromise in this, this still feels like a Romero movie. It exactly. feels like Romero's ideas are behind it, his sort of spirit. Um, I think a lot of people will be put off by the, like you, we talked about, sort of like the broadness or the cartoonishness. But like he demonstrated he likes that in a lot of places, like, you know, Creepshow, obviously. Um, there's there's moments of Dawn of the Dead that get into that as well, like the pie fighting scenes and whatnot. But it's it still feels like it's his voice coming through. And I think yeah. that's ultimately what I sort of attach to. Well, and, it, and it's also unfortunate with the with the scaling back that they had to do on on some uh, of the CG moments is is the thing. But besides all the other commentary and everything, it seems like the scene that's really big to Romero himself is the scene that's kind of hurt the most by having the CG included is, of course, the the redneck steak scene. Yeah. And it's like you, you can see what he's doing. You can see the moment that he has and you can tell that he wants it to be very important. But unfortunately, because of. They look so bad. Yeah. It looks so, so bad. It's just, yeah. And, and that's what I hate about it because you see it and you're like, oh, this is really cool that he's doing that. You don't really have this, this moment, you know, in, you know, in, in the post-apocalyptic world in in a place that's completely torn asunder and this character who is technically your protagonist because you spend the most time with him, but he's not really a good person that he still understands uh, some type of moralistic right and wrong and that, yeah. and that this is wrong. And so, I mean, you can see that there. It's just unfortunate that, you know, it don't well, look so great. I, th- I think part of that to consider too, is that one thing, one thing I've always li- loved about Romero is that he is a like true collaborator. Yeah. Um, at least when you, you know, when you look at the old documentaries on Dawn of the Dead and stuff and hear yeah. everything everyone says about him, like he's really open to other people's input. Um, and I think the problem is that I don't think he's surrounded by as good of a crew anymore. So I don't, I think him allowing them to do their jobs maybe is not the best because maybe they're not the best people. Um, not, to, not, not to disparage anyone that worked on this. Uh, well, no, no, I, no, I just no. mean like, yeah. it's not, it's not, you know, like at least for, Dawn and Day, like he had a lot of the same crew carry over. Exactly. And that's what um, I would say is you have certain f- filmmakers who always work with, you know, the same cinematographer, the same producers, uh, the same, you know, writers or actors who, who kind of have this shared language of the things that they've worked on together to be like, oh, this is where we need to go. Whereas you can easily see because of the, you know, who produced this film, the, the studio that put it out, that there's a chance that you had more, um, younger people who are working on the crews and stuff like that, who may have been um, over enamored by, by getting a chance to work with somebody with like Romero, which isn't a bad thing, but it's not the same as, as having that trusted, you know, ear that, that you've had for, you know, 40, Forever. 50, 60, you know, how many years. Yeah. You know, so so yeah. you can definitely, can definitely see that. Yeah, I mean, you, you feel that you feel the absence of of K and B and Tom Savini for sure. Exactly, and just all those people, especially because of the fact that we're moving this to an island, and we're we're dealing with Delaware now. <laughs> so so you don't yeah. even have the old you know stomping grounds being a part of things, which was still technically tied to 
um, diary of, of the dad because of where the students are going to school. Yeah, yeah. I mean, some of that I wonder if it's just reflected because now, you know, for the longest time he was living in Pittsburgh and now he, he was in Toronto at this point. Um, well, yeah, but I mean, you could even toss that away by, by having the location be, you know, in Toronto. Yeah. I, everybody true. makes jokes nowadays about every film being made in Vancouver or Toronto. So <laughs> you, you can easily have that, that joke be made. It definitely feels like no offensive to anyone who is listening, who lives in Canada or works in Canadian television or filmmaking, but it definitely does have that, that VOD slash Canadian type feel, you know, from, yeah. from something that's a smaller um, production or, or even like a Bulgaria, like we made this film in Romania. Can you tell? Yes. Yes, we can. Yes. Yes. And, and so like, that's an interesting aspect to it. Now, here's a difficult question um, that it's easier when the film is older mm-hmm. or is potentially something that stands on its own. So this might be a little bit more difficult for you. But the fourth question we always ask is, is there a contemporary film that's reminiscent of survival of the dead? What elements does that you know film do a bit better or what does the original do better? And that's usually like between the time that film came out. So this one being 2009, 2010 and to, to today, is there a film that feels like it's in the vein of survival of the dead? The, the real, the real problem is I feel like a lot of the touch points I have are just other Romero movies. Um, we, we mentioned Dawn of the dead and day of the dead, both yeah. feeling it's using a lot of those, um, I'm but but can of, you think of anything like within the last decade? Really, not within the last decade, where it's just like this. Well, where someone's pulled into someone else's conflict, and not, not really. Um, I don't know. Again, I think that the tone of it is so different that I yeah I'm having trouble think of thinking of anything that's really reminiscent of of the structure of survival. That wouldn't just be, I guess, another zombie movie. Um, yeah, and I mean, you can, you can kind of go out and on a on a limb for some of them, but you kind of have to like twist um, the the way that you know you view it. I mean, you could you could be terrible. Mention something like Dead Seven, which is that uh, Nick Carter western zombie film. Oh. Yeah, I did, not, I did not see that one. Yeah, I don't um, think that many people did for for good reason. Um, there, there is um, I think is it called Dead Birds? Is a is a horror western? Okay, and that was written by uh, what's his name? Simon Barrett, actually. Oh, okay. Um, but I don't know if it's. Yeah, that's kind of. I mean, it's like a group of confederate soldiers hole up in a bank um okay and are attacked by forces but i don't know that that's really any more related other than just being sort of western themed yeah i mean I, that, that's what you get into you've also got that uh i don't remember who the co-star is all i remember is that it's got chris Catan. that there's a another zombie western one that has chris Catan, which tells you everything and lets you know that it's uh not in any way connected there's one called The Burrowers that I think is also a zombie. Well, not zombie western, but it's a western creature. But it's a feature. western. Yeah, because that one's got. It's not Perlman. It's Clancy Brown. Oh yes, yes. Yeah. And and 
and but, not but Tom I mean, they, Cruise. They still don't. Now. They still don't hit kind of on that 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 conflict back and forth. Yeah, which I think is I what mean, you. You. I lose. think that's the thing though is that like he's he's really this is less of a traditional. I mean, it's really just like a western, and then it just happens to have the zombies sort of sprinkled in. So I think looking at it from that angle, it's harder to find something within horror that fits the same. Whereas, you know, like you mentioned, the, what was it called? The big West, the big nowhere. I totally, Oh, big country, big country. Yeah. Uh, or, you know, just anything that's based on Hatfields and McCoy would feel more in line. Well, they're almost a nuisance in this film in a way. Yeah. But like you yeah. don't have the giant uh, mobs that, that you're used to in the other films and entries, like you, you might have a group of like maybe five to seven of them. And the largest group that you have in the film are, you know, the zombies that are being held in that barn. So it, it's, it's a very different view of yeah. them. I mean, I guess a more traditional, traditional by way of this director, but zombie film that you could, that doesn't really fit as a comparison, but it's, the one of note that I can think of would be uh, the dead don't die. Oh, I haven't seen that one yet. Wow. It's, uh, it's very much a film that made by Jim Jarmusch that, that also has an appreciation and affinity for the, um, the Romero films of, of old while also being about nothing. Okay. <laughs> but like that's built into it. Like that's, that's on purpose. Yeah, I mean, again, when I like when I think back to what the movie's about, also like it's a very fatalistic movie. So like mm-hmm. that's most zombie movies. It's you know what I mean. It's trying to think of one that really stands out like this is not. Yeah, which is interesting for a film that that doesn't work completely as a whole. Uh, the the very nature of it is what keeps it unique and makes yeah. it kind of hard to replicate. And I don't really think you'd have. Uh, somebody else who who'd want to go down that road and try to to copy it because of kind of how out there and different it is. And so while it it might not fit you know structurally as as tonally as what people would want from a Romero film, it definitely shows that even in in his you know final filmmaking days that he was still trying to make something that 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 wasn't like what else was out there. Yeah, and also I mean. If we're if we're broadening it away from from movies, and we've already talked about this, but I, the real comparison, this feels like one of the arcs from The Walking Dead. Like it almost feels like the governor arc, okay? Where you know, like they walk wander into this sort of clan of people that have a very specific way of keeping zombies, and so it it kind of just feels like one of those episodes. But obviously, again, I I mentioned I like this a lot better because it's got more, it's a little lighter, it's got a lot more sort of tonal variety and isn't just so serious. And you also have, you know, several hours for them to work with on the show so they can work out the kinks and things as, as it goes along. Yeah. All right. So our final question is having rewatched this film again recently, do you think that it's still worth reverence or does it feel as if the sheen or luster that you once had for the film is slowly uh, being stripped away? Uh, it's probably in the middle. Um, I think, like I said before, I think this, I felt the rougher edges on it a lot more this time. Um, but I also still have sort of just an appreciation for the same reasons we've already talked about, just for the things that Romero does with movies that he doesn't make movies like a lot of other people. 
Um, and I don't know. It's, it's, it's not a great cap on his legacy, but I think it is, it's good to see where he's ended his like sort of movie making life. Um, he was working in a very different environment with very different budgets and constraints, but I think he was still able to make something that was entertaining and that was fun and, and was more than just like, I don't know, it was more than just a run of the mill zombie flick, which there's a million of those and there's a million that probably feel a lot like this, but I think the sort of insight he infuses, well, I don't even know if I'd say that. I just say the spirit sort of he infuses into his movies is, is well alive here. So I think it's still worth uh, checking out in that regard. There we go. And of course we had to ask the big question because we're talking about the final film, not only of Romero's career, but of his, of the dead cycle is what is your ranking of the films? We already know the diary is going to be at the end since you, you skip yes, over it when it comes yes. to doing it. So, uh, day is my favorite movie of all time. So that's, uh, okay. easy. Number one. Um, uh, I would probably put Dawn second and then night of the living dead and then land of the dead. Um, though I feel like Dawn and night can switch. I think I like Dawn ultimately a little more just cause there's a little more going on, but I do love night for how, sort of pure and concentrated it is um for a movie that that old that's just about something so simple it's still just as effective every single time um and i think that sort of can't be discounted but i think ultimately i'm a little bit more drawn to day and dawn so yeah i would say day dawn night land survival and diary Diary. Right, Diary would be like a low, like a couple spaces. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so you actually put Road that never got made in between. Yes, survival yes. And okay, okay. The idea of one that wasn't made is much better than Diary. So, <laughs> okay, there, there. Oh, strong words, strong words. I mean, <laughs> he had strong words because he put Day as number one. So that'll be really interesting to see what people have to say about that. If if you agree and you think that Day is the best out of all of Romero's dead films. Um, definitely let us know. Make sure to leave a comment, you know, retweet it. Let us know. I'm really curious to see Attack. how many people out there. Well, good. I mean, that, that's that they can do that on your other show. That's fine. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, Nolan, I want to thank you for coming on here. Please let yeah. the good people, only the good people on the internet know where they can find you plug, promote away. Uh, well, you can find me on Twitter at Nolan underscore McBride, or uh, I run the show's Twitter handle, which is at Dead Ringers Pod. Um, our website is deadringerspodcast.com. The podcast is on pretty much every uh, podcast platform, you know, iTunes, Spotify, and whatnot. Uh, so check us out. All right. Perfect. Easy enough. Of course, you can find me online at Yo Adrian Torres on Twitter. You can find the show at Horrorversary, and then we're everywhere that you want podcasts to possibly be. So on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever, you know, rank us, review, whatever you want to do. Be honest. Mm -hmm. You don't have to give us five stars. You can give us three stars, three and a half. I'm fine with that because that just lets me know that people are actually, you know, putting something out there. 
I don't don't give one stars. That'll make me very sad. But you know, put put something just so we <laughs> at know least a four. You're, you're out there. No, I mean they could do it. I think there's there's some three three and a half efforts. You know that I that I put out there. So I won't I won't be too hard. But again, thank you so much for coming on, Nolan. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Have to have someone defend this movie. Hey, I mean that's... sort of. That, that, that's what we're here about. We, we <laughs> want to talk about these movies. Not every single one's going to be a winner. Sometimes it's not a movie that everybody's going to think is great. And here's somebody who's appreciating it. Here's somebody who's putting it into context. And, and that's why I think that when it comes to the 10 and 20th anniversary for films, that those are the big years that people are taking, you know, a cold, hard look at the film. Once you hit 30 and 40, if people are still talking about you, you definitely have enough either cold cachet or commonality that people know and, and, and love the product. So, you know, that, that first, that, that, you know, the 10 year point, And then 10 years after that, when people are really looking in and, and diving in are, you know, what kind of build the legacy of those films. So I, I definitely yeah. think in the next six months or so, you know, that you'll see lots of people who are talking about this film, maybe in a different light. So we we're getting the ball rolling here. That's the key. Yes. We're starting the reevaluation. Exactly. Well, until next time, everyone, be nice to each other.